Welcome to another episode of the Boys on the Bench podcast. I am your host, DJ Riley, and alongside of me is my brother, Dalton Riley, and lifelong friend, Nathan Eastwood. In this episode, we're going to be talking about some of the recent coaching changes going on in the NFL, and then also a little bit of the conference shakeups going on in the NCAA. But before we jump into that, I am curious on y'all's take on the Lamar Jackson situation because this is something that was very interesting to me. You know, we knew that obviously there was a potential for him to be on the move out of Baltimore, but we weren't really sure if that was actually going to be the case. We knew that obviously he was asking for a lot of guaranteed money. We knew that that was what he wanted to do. He wanted to change the narrative because if we look around in all of the other professional leagues, in the NFL is one of the only leagues that guaranteed contracts isn't a thing, and it's also one of the most dangerous sports, right? I mean, they're literally going out there putting putting their heads on the line every single play, but then it's also the only professional sport where their contracts that they sign aren't fully guaranteed. So we knew that that was obviously something that Lamar Jackson was chasing, um, and Baltimore is kind of like, eh, but then they, you saw that they put a the, the franchise tag on him, but now he's just requested a trade out. And Obviously, there's a couple of teams that, for me, make a little bit of sense, and those teams are the Indianapolis Colts and the Atlanta Falcons. And for me, I was dead set on Lamar Jackson going to the Atlanta Falcons. I thought that that was something that made the absolute most sense. Arthur Blank come out and basically say that he wasn't really interested in Lamar Jackson because he was worried about his injury history. So Arthur Blank goes on quote for saying, there's no question Lamar Jackson is one of the top quarterbacks in the league. Looking at it objectively, there is some concern about whether or not he can play his style of game for, how long that can last hopefully a long time. He's missed five, six games each of the last two years. So obviously there was, there's people that are a little bit concerned. And I knew that whenever he was drafted out of Louisville, there's always been those questions, but you know, he's typically been a pretty healthy guy, but now we see that obviously the Falcons are out. They've come out and said that they're going to, they're going to start riding as Desmond Ritter as QB one. And for me, I just felt like you, you, you should have you should have at least seen what Lamar Jackson would have been worth as a trade offer, but I feel like Arthur Blank kind of kind of cut the ties a little too soon. Well, I, I'm I'm gonna disagree with you on that because well, I'm I'm not I don't remember the exact number that Lamar Jackson turned down from the Ravens. It wasn't like a hundred and fifty or hundred sixty something million. Was it something like that, or was it one eighty? I don't, I don't, I don't remember the exact numbers. I think I think. Yeah, I think it was like 185 or something like that that, that he turned down. So I, I think the Falcons kind of got an idea and saw exactly what he what he's looking for. But it, I think if you're the Falcons owner and the GM, like you're looking, you don't you don't need a quarterback right now because I mean you got that division like you said, other than Derek Carr, like we mentioned in the last episode, is not really quarterback heavy. And I think Atlanta has bigger spots that they need to fill and use that 180 million dollars on to make them a better all-around football team than a quarterback. And I mean, you drafted Desmond Renner last year who didn't do too bad at Cincinnati. I mean, he had a good college career. I and mean, you, you want to see what he's going to be like in the NFL, why not give him that opportunity to show you, right? So I think before you go all in on money with one person who wants all guaranteed money, I think you use that money elsewhere and see what Desmond Renner can do for you and your team. But from, from the Ravens' standpoint, I mean, I'd be kind of upset if I'm like the Ravens owner and the GM because, like, 
if you go back to the night that that Lamar Jackson was drafted, he fell almost to the second round. Like nobody was willing to take a chance on Lamar Jackson. Nobody. And then the no, Ravens those, traded those the injury concerns. Yeah, and then the Ravens. If I remember correctly, the Ravens traded back into the first round to draft him. Yep. And and uh, so for him, like I see why he wants guaranteed money because of what Deshaun Watson got from the Browns for having to sit out for a year to be a uh, creep. But you know, at the same time, like you're walking out on the only people who put trust in you and have faith in you. I was like, that's you know, that's. Well, but see, for me, like, I feel like his issue is is greater. Like, I mean, obviously, to an extent, it is money driven. But I, for me, I respect the move because, like I said, like, NFL is one of the most watched sports, the most watched professional sports. But at the same time, it is the only league that doesn't do fully guaranteed contracts. NBA, fully guaranteed contracts, no matter what. MLB fully guaranteed contracts, but if we look at all of the major sports, the NFL is the most dangerous. So I feel like although a point of this is money-driven, of course everything is. He is his own entity, and he deserves the money that he says he deserves, right? But I feel like the, over, the overall picture, like he's trying to make it to where the NFL, like guaranteed contracts are a little bit more common. Well, do you, do you think it's money driven because of the injuries? No one knows how long he's going to last. Like this, how it play? Well, let's let's look, let's look here. We also have to realize, like, this is a game where these are grown men with families, right? They're not kids anymore, so they have families. They have people that rely on them. You know, they have they have kids, they have wives. You know, they have people that they need to take care of. And if there's an injury in the NFL, you know, they. They're done. Their career's over. You know, um, but we got to remember the money. But the money, the money we're talking about here is millions of dollars. You know, I wish I could make a million dollars. You know, how long is that going to take me to make? You know, what I'm, I'm saying say they can play three years, break their neck, and still have more money than all three of us combined their whole life. Right, but it doesn't matter how much money I'm making. Right, it, it I got to have insurance. If I'm working construction, right. I, I want to have insurance. So if I if I get hurt out on the job site, I want to make sure my family's going to be taken care of at least for a, a long term, you know, until I get back on my feet, or if I can figure out so, something else alternatively, right? So for Lamar Jackson, I, I see exactly what he's talking about, you know, trying to go out there and get that guaranteed money. But you know, here's something that's interesting too, though. You know, he's 26 years old. He's still relatively young, um, but the, his style of football. You know, how much longer does he have left in the tank, you know, running a lot, taking a lot of hits? And that's just kind of, you know, I think where he's at, his style of play, and he understands he's different than most quarterbacks, especially the pocket passers. You know, I want my guaranteed money if I'm going to sacrifice my body. I see why Atlanta wouldn't take him. I mean, you got bigger needs, and, and you got to, you know, plug and play on offense. You want to build, They want to build an offensive line. They want to build that defense. You know, I, I think they can use that money. Better, but at the same time, if you're looking at the Colts, I'd be if I'm Jim Ursay and, and and the GM over there, I'd be kind of like, hey, you know, let's pump the brakes a little bit on paying some quarterbacks some money because they brought in Philip Rivers, they brought in Carson Wentz, they brought in Matt Ryan, and they dog shit with all three of them. So if I'm the Colts GM and I'm Jim Ursay, who's the owner of the Colts, I'm sitting here thinking. 
okay, yeah, we have this potential to bring in Lamar Jackson, but look at our track record of bringing in quarterbacks who have been pretty damn good at other football teams. And the last time that we had the two best quarterbacks in our franchise history, we drafted them. Peyton Manning yeah. and Andrew Luck. So I think, like, if you're the Colts, because you already have you have a good a good defense in the Colts, you have decent wide receivers. You've just had old, washed up quarterbacks. So I I, I think that if I'm if I'm sitting there in, in that office, I'd be more heavy on drafting my guy instead of paying 190 million dollars guaranteed to Lamar Jackson. Well, and here's here's the thing too. I feel is the a bigger need a bigger issue that I feel like a lot of people may not be aware of and may not. Even re- they're not talking about it. Lamar Jackson doesn't have an agent. He hasn't had an agent his entire he career in the NFL. Mama. He got his mama. His mama has agent. There you go. But she's not a professional agent. But you know, I, I have no better you know backup, no better representative for me than my own mama, right? But Jack, Lamar Jackson, if you go back to 2018 in the NFL draft. I, I think one of the main reasons he slid all the way to the very you know last pick of the first round is because he had no one to represent him, right? So you know I'm sure all these other quarterbacks had people to represent them who were able to negotiate and talk with these coaches and owners. Lamar Jackson didn't have that. He spoke on his own behalf. He let his game speak. But it's not just about playing. You got to have it's deals. It, this is a business. This isn't high school. This isn't college. Um, this is a, a business. It's the NFL, and when you don't have an agent who understands the business, it it really can hurt. It can hurt you, you know. So, I mean, I like I I get that, but at the same time, like you know, with the way that Lamar Jackson is and like what he's chasing, like his overall his overall message is to get guaranteed money. And mm-hmm. agents, at the end of the day, don't care about that. They get paid when you sign contracts. They don't get paid when you're uber yeah. aggressive. So. He well, he may have he's he may have been on the hunt for for an agent and and then everyone's kind of struggling to pick him up so he's like yeah I'm you know what me and my mom we're, we're going to do this and I think that that's and and not to say again that Lamar Jackson is selfish because really I don't think that he is and I hate the the narrative of you know how long is his career going to last because you know we all think when we think Lamar Jackson we think of him busting out of the pocket making plays on the run that's all we think about. But if we look at the both times that he's been injured and sat out those five to six weeks that Arthur Blank was talking about, both of those injuries occurred inside the pocket. That wasn't the, Those were not plays where he was outside of the pocket trying to extend the play, trying to run the ball. Both of those injuries happened inside of the pocket. So I don't, I don't understand the narrative of like how long can his career last. We see him take, we see him take big hits, and he, he, I mean, but that's who he is. That's who, that's who he is, and I, I so I I don't know. For me, like, what are we gonna do? Are we gonna get to the point where Lamar Jackson is either franchise tagged for the rest of his career, or I mean, that, that won't even happen because the the Baltimore the 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 Ravens will only get two opportunities, and then at that point they have to move on or give him a contract. But that's what I mean. Like, are we either gonna just franchise tag, and then after his franchise tags are up, no one's gonna sign him because he wants guaranteed money? That's ridiculous. Because at that point, Lamar Jackson is going to be 27, 28 years old, still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, but no one wants to pick him up because he wants a guaranteed contract. That's insane to me. And it's like you're saying to like the, the insurance thing. I mean, like, you know, we all have jobs, and each and every year we're like, hey, we deserve more than what we have right now. We deserve more pay than what we have. 
obviously their pay is worth so much more. But at the same time, that, that is their job. They have proven their worth. Lamar Jackson has won an MVP. He has taken Ravens like far into the playoffs. Again, he has proven his worth year in and year out. Has and won Super Bowl. I, well, but so many quarterbacks haven't. The only people that earn these contracts are, are who? Aaron Rodgers and, and Patrick Mahomes? Do you, have Look, to win, I, do you have to win a Super Bowl in order to get a fully guaranteed no, contract? Because I, Deshaun Watson hasn't proved I'm anything. Not, he got yeah, a fully I'm guaranteed not contract. Saying, I'm not saying he didn't get a fully guaranteed contract because he hadn't won a Super Bowl. I think, I think injuries and his style of play is the reason why he's not getting a full guaranteed contract. And I think a Super Bowl plays a, a small role in it. But, like, in all honesty, like, if you go back and you look at his Ravens teams – other than Mark Andrews, who's he really had to throw to? Exactly. Well, exactly. Look, Another reason to get this man a fully guaranteed contract. Right. And so this is where I, I mean, I, I agree with Nathan. Right. So what, what I see here with Lamar Jackson is because of his injuries and the things like it's I can see from the owner's perspective how it can be incredibly hard to give a man fully guaranteed money for five year over a five year contract and has a gruesome injury and is just not the same. Carson Wentz tears his ACL, not the same quarterback. I would hate to pay that man his first his after his first two years in the NFL being MVP style quarterback play and then just falling off the face of the earth and still pay, pay, paying him MVP money. Um, I think that's what people are afraid of. That would happen to Lamar Jackson if if a serious and horrendous accident happened. That's money that you still have to pay. Now, for Lamar Jackson, he deserves it. He does, but that's that's the fine line. You know, from an owner's perspective, I get it. From Lamar Jackson's perspective, I get it. And there is just very hard to figure all that out. And so what's going to happen, I don't know. I think where I go back to my first point, Lamar Jackson has to get an agent other than his mama. I think that you got to have somebody be able to go in there and talk business for you. You just need to worry about playing the game. But you need an agent going there with your interest. In, in mind and knowing what you want and be able to represent you. So No, and I, I, I agree to all of that. Like, I mean, I think that an agent would be able to help out with this because I think it's something that obviously he's been, he's been super stressed out about. But I, I think it's hard to say that there's an agent out there that's willing to be patient with him and do everything that he wants and that he needs. So, but I mean, like, like I said, I mean, the, the Colts are – I feel like the Colts, again, are, are a team that could use him. You know, they are they are the – they have, I think, currently the fourth uh, overall pick in this upcoming draft. I don't, I don't trade away that pick. Even if you bring in Lamar Jackson on a two- or three-year deal and then you go and draft a quarterback with that first pick, because there's a lot of good quarterbacks in this upcoming draft. So you go and draft a quarterback, it's hard for a rookie quarterback to come in and excel within the first year, first – two years, even the first three years. So give him that time to build, even draft somebody that's similar to a Lamar Jackson style or, you know, at least has, you know, the qualities of running with his or using his legs. Anthony Richardson. I think Anthony Richardson is great, very similar style of quarterback play to Lamar Jackson. I mean, could you imagine him coming in doing a little play action with uh, Jonathan Taylor? Oh, dude, I just think that'd be so dirty. And I think that what the Colts could do with their pick. And, yeah, I think bringing in Lamar Jackson would be great. I think getting a running-style type quarterback for the Colts is exactly what they need. And I think doing that with um, Jonathan Taylor is going to help, 
you know, make everything their work. I think that's exactly what they're missing. I just don't think a pocket passer is what they need anymore. Like, no, and I agree. I mean, even if they get, even if they get Lamar Jackson, and that's the decision is to move forward with him, then move forward with him. Like we're saying, like currently, if if Anthony Richardson is only 22 years old, we're talking about a four-year age gap between Lamar Jackson and Anthony Richardson. If Lamar Jackson doesn't work out, or God forbid. Everyone is so worried about these injuries that Lamar Jackson could potentially get. Then there you go. All of a sudden, now you have a high draft pick again. And then you can get a quarterback prospect. There's always good quarterback talent coming in. But then you just okay, but that's that's Lamar Jackson. That's the risk. I mean, okay, then what if you you know we go Anthony Richardson fourth overall pick and he doesn't amount to anything? We force him way too early to play in his career, and just like everybody else, and that's why the Browns have had so many quarterbacks in so long is because they draft a, a. young quarterback, a good prospect, but then when they force the issue and they can't get anything done. Like that well, happened like so then what you just wasted a fourth you've wasted a fourth overall pick. So that's what I'm saying. You have to take a risk. Right. No, I know I'm under, I'm I'm totally with taking a risk. Yeah. I, look, I'm with taking a risk. I think that if you bring in Lamar Jackson, you need to help you're trying to you're trying to win a super you're trying to win a Super Bowl. You're not trying to bring in backups. I, I think it's great to have backup quarterbacks, but you can get that through free agency. I think bringing in a quarterback with a fourth overall pick, I think there's so much more better talent you can find in other positions that you need. If you bring in Lamar Jackson, I think that's a great thing for the Colts. Bring in Lamar Jackson. Use that fourth overall pick for something else, right? Well, um, that, just, that, that, well let's, that just comes back into play. Like, if you look at If you look at the Colts' history, their best quarterbacks that they've ever had like I said earlier, come from when they draft him. So, like, Andrew Luck. that's what I'm saying. Like, is Jim Ursay thinking, like, hey, we'll save the money, get Anthony Richardson built around him? Look, the Colts team is still young, man. Uh, I don't think bringing in a veteran quarterback, Lamar Jackson's still young. We're not talking about Peyton Manning here, right? But I think bringing in a young quarterback uh, like, like a Bryce Young or Anthony Richardson or C.J. Stroud and working with another young running back who I – 23 years old, Jonathan Taylor, right? I think he turns 24 this year, or he might have just turned. But anyways, incredibly young. Only going to be one or two years older than this quarterback. Go ahead and start building a relationship like Dak Prescott and Zeke, right? Go ahead and create this foundation and this centerpiece for your team between these two young players. I don't think Lamar Jackson is going to come in and create that centerpiece with Jonathan Taylor. I think bringing in a new quarterback, some fresh you know, legs, um, right out of college and working with this team, I think will build this franchise for the Colts. And like Nathan said, I think they have had a history working with quarterbacks, rookie quarterbacks, and molding these guys like Andrew Luck. I think they need to get back to their roots, get you a young, fresh guy, and let's just build that let's build that centerpiece on that. Yeah, team. I agree. And like that's something else that they're going to have to do as well. Like obviously, like the relationship part of it mm-hmm. is huge. So we, we're uncertain as to what is next for the quarterback position in Indianapolis. But something else outside of the quarterback position is the head coach. So we just saw Frank Wright. He's on his way out. He's moving to Carolina. So Indianapolis had to get somebody new. So obviously that relationship, not only, again, like Jonathan Taylor is, I mean, he's going through kind of a, kind of a weird situation where, you know, he's, he showed a lot of success in his rookie season. And then kind of had a fall off this last year. And then now it's like we've got so many changes going on. And it's just, I mean, it is, it is kind of a weird situation. But, yeah, like, you know, we, again, we, have, uh, we had a lot of coaching changes going on throughout the NFL. And 
to the team that we're talking about. Indianapolis is one of those teams where, you know, they, they fired Frank Wright um, kind of mid-year, brought in Jeff Saturday. He was He's no longer now the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. But then but, we, but Jeff Saturday going in did say that this is my first time doing it and I'm not going to be that good and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And he stepped up to the plate, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think Jeff Saturday came in and I think that, honestly, as a fan of football, I, I mean, I absolutely tuned – I feel like I tuned in more to the Colts uh, after that, after he took that head coach. I was like, I mean, dude, I'm loving what's going on right now with Dan Campbell and the Lions and Jeff Saturday. Like, dude, these guys are bringing, you know, so much more viewers to the game of football, I feel like, and it's making it so much more fun to watch. Um, now, they still have to perform, but, like, from a fan base standard, I mean, I'm – I couldn't be any more happier for these guys. I, I think I think he did great. I'd be happy if he's you know did he sign a contract? Does he staying with the Colts or did or what are they doing? Do we know? As far as I see, I didn't see that he definitely didn't get the the head coaching position. No, he but hasn't gotten it yet. Yeah, no, no, he didn't get it. No, he didn't get it. Okay, I mean, um, I'd love if he does. So they, it's not solidified. They're right. Nothing's figured out oh. yet. No, hold they up. Are, I need to. I need it's Shane. I don't know how to say his last name. Stitchin. Same Shipen. Shane. Shipen. Shane Shipen. Where's he? Who is he? Or who? Stichen. Who is this guy? Who is he? Where's he from? What's his? Do we know his history? Eagles. Yeah, he was the Eagles. Yeah, Shane Shipen was the Eagles' offensive coordinator. That's how you say okay. his last name. So, do we know anything with Jeff Saturday? What, what's he doing? Is he going to stay on staff or? No, I, I don't. I don't know if it is for Jeff Saturday. But back to what DJ was talking about with the Colts and Shane Stipen. It's it's uh, they did they bring in Shane Stipen? That's because you know they they got rid of Frank Wright mid season because. He wasn't doing great as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And, you know, Jim Ursay brought him in with, I think his first year was with Andrew Luck. I think that was Frank Wright's first year. But after Luck kind of retired, Frank Wright didn't really do, they didn't really do much. And and I think the best year he had was the year he had Carson Wentz. And my I think that was their best year. But he gets fired midseason. Carolina brings him in. and. Now he has number one pick in the NFL draft this year. And if you go back and you look at what Frank Wright was able to do with a quarterback that he had drafted, you go back to Carson Wentz. Rocky rookie year. Very rocky rookie year. Year two, though. Probably would have been the MVP. I don't know if it was year two or year three. Would have been the MVP if he probably didn't tear his ACL in the L.A. game. I mean – Carson Wentz was was balling out that year, and that's the guy that Frank Wright wanted to bring in to Philly. I mean, he worked with him, made great quarterback when he was with him, other than his stint in, in Indy. But I think with with him sitting at the number one overall pick this year, and the potential of bringing in my personal opinion, I bring in C.J. Stroud. I think he's more pro ready, but I think you bring in C.J. Stroud with Frank Wright and a whole new team in a new place with a quarterback that you can teach your offense to will be his first offense that he learns in the NFL and you can get guys around him. And now you're going to have to build that wide receiver room back up because you just created DJ Moore. You're going to have to go get some more running back. So, you, you know, that's where you start. You start by getting your quarterback with Frank, Frank Wright getting his quarterback and then you build around that. And I, I think Carolina's head may, might, might be heading in the right direction. But we'll see what Frank Wright does there. And uh, new place, not a new head coach, but new place, and uh, we'll see how he does. 
I'm interested. Like like we're saying, like Frank Wright has like obviously had a highly successful career, and it was kind of this last season that we saw him be on the hot seat. You know, they they tried to bring in um, Philip Rivers, didn't work out, and they said, you know what, we're going to bring in Frank Wright's guy with Carson Wentz, didn't work out, and then from there it was like, all right, bud, you're on the hot seat. You've had two seasons in a row. Yes, you've had a very good career, and that's what's kind of bad about the NFL is, you know, you, you'll have a really good career coaching-wise, and then all of a sudden you have a bad year, and then you follow it up with another bad to mediocre year, and then all of a sudden you find yourself on the hot seat, which, I mean, I know it's, it is the, the highest league. There are so many good coaching candidates out there. So, I mean, it makes sense. So we saw a move kind of on the way I always hate to see a coach get fired mid-season you know he's the guy that had to try to rally them all together and then just for them to boot him out on his way out it's you know it is what it is but I think it honestly worked out for the best because now we see him having an opportunity to become another head coach somewhere else because if in my opinion I think if he was fired later on in the season he wouldn't have necessarily had that opportunity to have another head coaching job he would have probably had to go back to the coordinator route and prove his way. So, I mean, it probably worked out for the best. I'm, I'm happy for him, and I'm excited to see what he does in Carolina. And assuming, again, that, you know, he does go with the quarterback with that first overall pick, I think that that's why they traded up, and then the Bears traded back. Bears don't need a quarterback. Carolina is that team that needs that quarterback, so that's why they traded up. So someone else, though, that I'm excited to see who is also getting an opportunity to work with a young quarterback is Kellen Moore. So Kellen Moore, we knew that he was the offensive coordinator with the Dallas Cowboys the last couple seasons. And Dallas, for some odd reason, I, I, I don't get it, but for some odd reason, booted him out of town. Does it make sense to me? Booty out of town, so I think that they were one of the top two, maybe top three offenses in the NFL. So I figured if top anything, three, if Kel- – Top three in the NFL until you get to the playoffs, and then you look at what Kellamar calls, and you're like, what the fuck are we doing? We're looking like a junior high football team out here against the 49ers. Well, for, but if you, the 49ers were so stacked defensively that it, it was almost oh, unfair. Geez. So were the Eagles, and we almost put 450 yards on them. I mean, so, but if you look, so I saw this thing, and if you look at what Kellen Moore did as an offensive coordinator with the Cowboys, points per game. First, 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 sixth. We saw him four years. Didn't matter, didn't matter, didn't matter. Lost first round, lost first round, lost second round. Don't fucking matter. But to a point, it does. It absolutely does because although what if you're scripting up the right plays because at the same time, Dak's out there making adjustments. Kellen Moore didn't call that. Dak's out there making adjustments. So I think the overall season speaks more volumes other than, you know, the quality of play that we see in the playoffs. What if what if Dak isn't a quality quarterback in the playoffs? What if the, the Cowboys how – many, I mean, how many points are the Cowboys giving up? In the playoff game, like I don't even remember the score to that game, but if they it was gave up a low thirty scoring game, it was a low scoring game. Well, I mean, and not to say that you know, although we're looking at last year, that may have been a low scoring game, but in previous seasons, it may not have been because that's what we always like. That for me as a Packers fan, that's what I always say about the Packers. I get so frustrated, but then we look at the defensive side of the ball, 
and it's because we give up 30, 40 points every single playoff game, but we also do that in every single regular season game as well. But again, points per game, first, 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 sixth in his four seasons as the OC. Also, yards per game, fifth, first, first, first. Points, uh, plays per game, first, second, first, sixth. This guy, I mean, obviously we're, we're cherry picking some stats here, but I think points per game and yards per game, that, that's what most people look at as a successful offense in the NFL. And three out of his four seasons, he was ranked first in three out of those four years in each of those categories. What are we supposed to, like, does it all fall on the OC for not being able to form, perform in the playoffs? Look, I, I think I agree with you, BJ. I think that, you know, when it comes to um, coaching, you know, that's interesting what you were saying, first, 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 sixth in the NFL when it comes to, you know, overall efficiency of your offense, right, especially in the passing game and things of the sorts. But I think that when it comes down to the playoffs, I, you know, I think it does play calling is vitally important. 100% agree. But the regardless of the play call, you know, the players know how to – they practice the plays day and night. You know, you still have to go out there and perform on any given basis, but especially for the playoffs. I think regardless of the plays that Kellen Moore is calling, I wouldn't put a lot of that blame on him when it comes to the playoffs. You know, I think that the Cowboys have just been notorious uh, when it comes to playoff play and, you know, trying to, you know, perform you know, before Kellen Moore was even there. Um, I think that, you know – Kellen Moore's operation that's put together by the offensive coordinator. Well, I mean, with defensive coordinator, special teams, you know, it's much more than that. I mean, yeah, you, we could we could say that, but we don't know that, right? Well, the we, we've never sat in a, in a meeting room in the NFL, so, like, you don't know if, if Dak Prescott's checks or all that are written up by Kellen Moore. Like, hey, if we run this play, this is what they're showing. These are the best two to three checks that you can run out of that. You know what I mean? Like, we don't know because we've never seen the meeting room, so I think there's a lot to tell. But, I mean, like, DJ, you're right, though. Kellen Moore has had the best – we've had the best offense during the regular season. But why is that not transitioning into the playoffs? Is it because, you know, Kellen Moore and Dak Prescott, you know, lack the preparation for playoff football? Is, is Kellen Moore, you know, just – not stick because when when I watch regular season football and I go and watch us in the playoffs, it doesn't look like the same offense. It doesn't look like we run the same plays. It doesn't look like we try to stay true to who we are. And I, I think that's I think that is what falls on Kellen Moore. And I mean, it, it hurt that we didn't have the one two punch with the running backs. But I mean, that's I what I'm, like. What else? What else? What else do you want for me? What else do you want in an offensive coordinator? I don't. I, for me, I don't know how it gets. I don't know how it gets better. Like, yes, everybody wants playoff wins. That's that's well, what everybody no, wants. But like, he has he has a career that he knows how to call an offense. He he has proven that in four okay, years. When you go when you go and you watch the Cowboys all season, and then you go and watch them in their playoff game, it doesn't look like it's the same style of plays being called though. That's what I'm getting at. Does it? Are we getting away from what the got the? We're getting away from what got them there all year. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Well, I mean, if you look at you know what's going on, you know, we could say the preparation, but we don't see preparation, right? We don't see the practices. We don't see any of that unless you know, you know, we're there at the practice field or you know or whatnot. But what's going? 
what I do see is play, right? Performance. That's what I do see. And, you know, when the Cowboys played the Niners last year in the, or this past year, this past season in the playoffs, you know, Dak had two interceptions. He only threw for 206 yards, 23 for 37, right? So if you look at the box score, so like he, and he had a 63.6 quarterback rating. So, yeah, Kelly Moore, it's your fault. You know, like, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say it's your fault. You know, I, like you said, Dak Prescott knows the plays that are being called. It doesn't matter. You know, I think that the timing of the plays are important, but regardless of what play is called, you know how to perform that play. If you go and you look at the Cowboys in the regular season and then go and look at the plays called in the playoff game, it doesn't look like it's the same offense. It's like Kellen Moore's trying to do too much. All I'm saying is, like, you got to stick with what got you there. I mean, if it's like, worked all year, why change it? Okay, but then look at the look at the look at the Cowboys' first playoff game. They played the Buccaneers. They beat the Terrible Buccaneers. Team. I mean, Terrible yeah, team. but they have a good defense. They have Mediocre. a really good defense. No, they Mediocre. have a, they have a solid defense. Thirty. They beat they beat them thirty one fourteen. Thirty one fourteen. Obviously, that worked. I think that they just got out schemed by the Forty ers and that's what I'm saying. Like, yes, that was a low scoring game. I do not. I do not think that this falls on Kellen Moore. Okay, I think. It, I think it was get, awful that you, you that you move on from him. If you get out schemed, whose job is it to work around and be? You, at that point, if you're getting out schemed, it's who's the better coordinator? Right. Well, I don't think it's out schemed if you have, you know, if there's a mishap on the defense and uh, a sixty yard bomb happens on you like I don't think that's being out schemed I think that's you know mishaps happen you know all the time where there's busted coverages you know I I think that the coordinator probably called the right play but the safety misread something you know I think that happens with quarterbacks they misread all the time you know how many times have we seen receivers just streaking down the field wide open and the best quarterbacks in the league miss it right I, I think that you know and coordinators get you know busted for that all the time but I I think a lot of times it's performance you know it's it's just being in the game you know but I mean to a degree Nathan I do agree with you that offensive coordinators defensive coordinators special teams you know sometimes they don't call the best you know like how many times have we seen a fourth and you know 10 and we see a fake punt you know it's just like what are you thinking right you know but like how can how can anyone perform with that and get a first down you know but I mean I mean I I totally I totally agree with y'all like to an extent, it falls on the coordinator. Like the lack of preparation right. and being out schemed. I'm not saying that's that 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 all. Yeah, that, yeah, I'm not saying that that I'm falls saying. on that's Dak. Yeah. yeah, that that falls on Kellen Moore. Absolutely, was the lack of preparation and being out schemed. Hundred percent. But that's what I'm saying. Like he he is a young coach. He is a young offensive coordinator. Yes. So, yes, but agree. he's. He's and that's what I'm saying. Like, what what else do you what else do the Cowboy fans expect? I think that I think you're absolutely ridiculous if you believe that the move from Kellen Moore was the right move. Because now what? Dak Prescott and all of the offense is having having now to learn a new offense. Although they've been first, 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 sixth, top ten, okay. top ten in offense in the last four years, but then now you're having to learn. A whole new offense because we can't that win. One, that, we can't win against the, the 49ers. Super Bowl, right? That won the Packers the Super Bowl. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, you got to learn a whole new offense, but the offense that they're learning is the offense that won a Packers the Super Bowl. 
I mean, is it going to be his or is it going to be the new offensive coordinator? I was based on all the stuff that I've read. It's going to be Mike McCarthy. I mean, okay, but that's fine. Regardless, I think of whoever's it is, it's a brand new offense. I don't think this is a good move. Losing Kellen Moore, when you each of the last four seasons, four or five seasons, when you're ranked first in the league and then sixth, I think that getting rid of Kellen Moore, yeah, this might be Kevin or Mike McCarthy's team, but when you're getting rid of Moore. You're losing something on the offensive side. What did he do? He was offensive coordinator, right? This isn't Mike McCarthy's team, like offensive team, right? He he is the head coach, but when you're getting rid of Kellen Moore, you know he did something on the offensive side of the ball. And when you're ranked like that, I would think like, dude, he's the offensive coordinator. Like you're losing something, right? He did something. He didn't just fold towels and you know tell Dak Prescott, hey, dude, you're doing a great job. Like I think that he did something on that team, and you're giving up something that's very valuable. And I think the Chargers are getting that. I'm excited to see Kellen Moore in Los Angeles. I think the Kellen Moore move to Los Angeles is to get him. He is a young coordinator. He will be a great coach at some point. Once he can figure out when he's getting out schemed in the first half and he can figure out how to, okay, like this is what I'm running. This is what's not working. How as me as an offensive coordinator can take what I have, the players I have, the team I have, turn it around in the second half and be a better call, better game, call a better game, right? That that will come with 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 time, and I, I think the LA move is eventually a move to move Kellmore into the head coaching job at LA, because the only other person there who gets just absolutely just ripped apart by the media is the head coach over there. I always forget his name in LA. Brett Staley. Yeah. Brandon yeah. Staley. Yeah. Yeah, Brandon Staley. The whole first year, or like the first half of the year, they, I mean, you just look at the charges and you're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, they have such a good team. And you go back and everyone's like, it's the play calling. Do the, do the Chargers bring in Kellen Moore? Because they look at what he's done in the regular season in Dallas. I think the, the move, like I said earlier, is to transition Kellen Moore into the head coach in Los Angeles. Look, I don't know. I think they're trying to build weapons around Brandon Staley. I think this is a great, great move. And I don't think they're looking at Kellen Moore and being looking at what he's done the regular season. I think he's looking at what he's done for the Dallas Cowboys. He's going to get another good quarterback, a young one at it too, with Justin Herbert, who ranks fourth in total quarterback ratings between Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. You can, you can argue right now, you can argue right now that Justin Herbert could possibly be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. No, absolutely. I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And But what I'm saying, too, there is Kellen Moore is getting another good quarterback and with also great weapons on the offensive side of the ball um, that w- with the likes of Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Gerald Everett I th- at, at tight end. I think that there's no reason that Justin Herbert should not have another great, exceptional MVP-type caliber year, and I think that this is another – resume booster for Kellen Moore to possibly get another head coaching job for the Chargers I don't know I think I don't know if he would take that job but I think that yeah I mean I think, I think it's another resume I think you'd I think be dumb would. not I think you'd be dumb not to take it but I don't think that exactly. that's I don't think that that's the move though I don't think right, that because Kellen Moore's going to go there he's going to show some sort of success obviously because that's what he did with Dallas he showed success there, but we see, we see that. We see that he shows success through Dallas, and then if he goes to L.A., 
and he shows success there, they're not going to boot out Brandon Staley and say, all right, Kellen Moore, it's your team now. I think that Kellen Moore is going to go there. He'll probably have one, maybe two good seasons as the offensive coordinator, and then we start to see him on the move. And to that, the counterpart, the reason that kind of started all of these arguments was because we, we saw a similar move, you know, D'Amico Ryan, the 49ers defensive coordinator who, again, played the Cowboys in the postseason this last year and out-schemed Kellen Moore. So we see D'Amico Ryan's have an exceptional year, and then all of a sudden now he is getting a head coaching opportunity. I thought that that was going to happen for Kellen Moore this year, and it did not. But going back to D'Amico Ryan's, he is now the new head coach of the Houston Texans. He spent the last two years, he only spent two years as the 49ers defensive coordinator. And last year, he was the number one defense in terms of DVOA. And DVOA is just defensive adjusted value over the average. And if you don't know what that is, it's just the defensive ranking that's adjusted to take into the account of the level of competition that they're facing. So obviously, if they're facing a pretty low-ranked um, offense that they have shown consistency of being a pretty low-ranked offense, that's taken into account. So, And if they're playing a very highly-ranked offense, that's also taken into account. Well, the 49ers defense, and again, that is who Kellen Moore just faced in the playoffs, is the number one defense in terms of DVOA. So, and that is that is typically means that you have the number one ranked defense. We don't really typically yeah. look well, at yards. We look at DVOA. Look what the Eagles did to him. Well, I mean, sure. But looking at D'Amico Ryans, he has shown it's success. A, it's a good hire. It's a good hire. No, he's good he's good. He's, he's he's taken over a dumpster of an organization, though. Exactly, that's the, what I'm saying. Like, you can't as who they have, Lovey Smith was that his name? Yeah, yeah. You can't you can't come in. You can't as the Texans owner and GM. You can't expect him to come in here and build a 49er style defense year one. I they I think they expected Lovey Smith to win some football games. You're taking over dumpster of an organization, like you said, where their quarterback's neck was as long as a, as a freaking giraffe's, okay? You can't they, – they can't expect D'Amico Ryan's to come in here and do that. It's it's going to have to take time for him to get a couple of off-seasons under his belt, get some free agency signings, draft some guys. It's going to take a little bit, and it's they can't fire him after year one and year two. It's going to take a while to get there. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, um, I agree. I, well, he came in. I agree with DJ. He came in and inherited an absolute mess with the Houston Texans. Um, he is a young coach. That's some of the pros coming in of him coming, uh, inheriting this team and uh, being able to connect with them on a more personal basis and being able to, you know, light a fire under this team. But um, he's also coming in on a six-year contract, long term. Um, that's great. Offensive side of the ball, though. I don't really agree with it. I don't know how the Texans are really going to get much better. I hope D'Amico Ryans has a great uh, career uh, with the Houston Texans. But offensively, too, uh, you've got the offensive quarter. They just signed Bobby Slowick. Uh, he's had 10 years in the NFL. Uh, last year, he was the offensive passing coordinator. Not the offensive coordinator, offensive passing coordinator for the 49ers. Now, this is his first gig as an offensive coordinator running at the helm of this. So I, I think that they needed much more help than this, um, than bringing in somebody like Bobby Slowick on the offensive side of the ball. 
and D'Amico Ryan's coming in. I agree with Nathan. I don't think he's going to come in and just magically have the 49ers defense. I, I don't know if this was a good move by the Houston Texans. I, I have all the love for D'Amico Ryan's. Roll Tide, buddy. Roll Tide. But I, I just don't I just don't agree with it, though, for the Houston Texans. And I I don't see this going going. I, say, I don't see an upward trend with this. Yeah, but I mean, that's hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I do though because look, D'Amico Ryan's the first thing he's going to get to do is bring in a franchise quarterback. That's the start, right? You have to start somewhere, right? They but he's a defensive coach. He's a defensive minded with Bobby Slowick yeah, with a new with a new quarterback. Coach. But now, when you're a defensive minded coach and you are the head coach. Now you're not only a defensive-minded coach, you have to have the interest of the whole entire football team. And I don't and, see it. Well, it, it, it's a learning. He's going to have to learn. And, yeah, and yeah. That's what he's going to do. So right. what he's going to do is he's going to sit down with the guys who he hired to build an offense, the guys that he trusts and believes in, who can help them get to where they need to be and say, as a defensive-minded coach, if, if, if I'm a defensive minded coach, I'm like, if I'm preparing for a, a team, what quarterback scares me the most? CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Levis, and then you talk to your offensive minded guys and like, can this guy fit our scheme? And is is he going to be our guy? And that that I think that's what D'Amico Ryan's is doing. He understands he's a defensive minded coach, but he has the whole entire organization. To, to think about as being the head coach now. He's brought in the people he's trusted. Now they have to go in and build that offense, and he has to be there with them because he is the head coach. So I think he's he's getting a, a, a decent start because he's going to get to pick who he wants to bring in as their franchise guy. And then from there, you can get your offensive guys to build around him, and he can try to focus more on building up a defense. Yeah, no, and I, I, I agree. I think that that's – I, for me, I love the signing. I think that D'Amico Ryans is going to do good things in this year, in the 2023 season. Probably not. I, this team is not built to win even half of the games this year that they're going to play in. Like, absolutely and they got not. Rid of the best wide receiver who was what, Brandon Cooks? Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Dallas, so. so. Yeah, and they're they're not they're not trying to win right now. But that's what's bad about the Houston Texans organization. This is the third coach that they're signing in three years. Their previous two coaches they were on a on a one and done type of a deal, and now they brought in D'Amico Ryan's. And I'm just like, the Texans cannot approach this as a one and done type of a deal. There is because this this team is not built to win. You cannot expect this team to even make a playoff push. You have to build this no, up. You like you were, you were absolutely. I think, I think what, yeah. You were screwed. I mean, like because you traded away Deshaun. You traded away Deshaun Watson, and in that same year, you didn't have a first or even a second round draft pick to draft your next franchise. So then they waited to the third round to get Mills, and that's who you're just trying to hope that he's going to come in and absolutely change it. So I think with them being towards the top end of this draft. They're going to have to go a quarterback. You have to build with the future. And unfortunately, yeah. hopefully, they, hopefully they get a guy and he is able to come in and be, be a plug-and-play, kind of like a Trevor Lawrence who has kind of flipped the Jaguars organization in a sense. And that's what the Texans are going to have to hope for with some sort of immediate success. But you do see them adding pieces. 
to help out with offense, like Dalton said with the, the, the OC signing. But then we also saw that they traded a late-round pick for the guard Shaq Mason, who is coming uh, from Tampa Bay with the Bucks. Um, and then they also signed, I know he's old, but they also signed uh, Robert Woods to a two-year contract. So they're adding pieces. They aren't pieces that, again, are going to allow them to win anytime soon. But yeah. they are adding pieces and veteran yeah. pieces at that. So they get, they get a 12th pick. They get two picks in the top 10 or 12, right? I think so. Yeah, so what, what you have to do is you got to get you a quarterback. you got to get you a wide receiver. You have to. And, and what you do, whether it be C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or Will Levis or whoever you get, whoever you get, you need to let them know, like, this is a rebuild. We are not going to be a playoff caliber football team. We have, we're bringing you in, and we have to build around you. That's going to start with drafting you, and then we got to go get you a receiver at our next pick. They have to get a receiver because if you bring in C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, who are they going to throw to? I mean, yes, to but their, their defense is also atrocious as well, and I think – I think if you have two, because they have the second and the twelfth overall pick in this upcoming draft, so I think that you have to go with a quarterback with your first pick at number two. Absolutely. But then I think that Absolutely. you also have to that that benefits the offensive side greatly. But I think that you also will have to go with a defensive piece at number twelve. You got to get one of the best offensive players, one of the best defensive players. You are very rarely going to have opportunity like this, and like we're saying. I I just they're not going to win anytime soon. I don't think that getting a quarterback and a good wide receiver is going to is going to help them right now. I mean, it could. It's going to allow them time to make that connection, have that career, build the same career, you know, every year of the way. But if I was the Texans, I would approach it as you know, the first pick that we have has got to go offense. The second pick we've got to go defense. Well, and with D'Amico Ryan taking over, being a defensive guy, I think that that's something that happens. Probably. I was just looking at the fact that what the Bengals did, they went. They drafted Burrow or Joe Burrow, and then went and got someone who he connected with as a receiver, and then now look at him, right? So I mean, you could look at it from that that standpoint too. But that's just that, and whoever does get drafted there at quarterback, they need to know like, hey, your first year you're gonna get scrutinized because you're not gonna have a winning record, and you're not gonna be a great quarterback. Yeah. So it's just not look, I happen. I agree with you guys strategically when it comes to drafting. Um, I, I absolutely 100% agree. But to me, it still comes down to having two coaches that have that lack the experience. Um, you know, when it comes to head head coaching positions for D'Amico Ryan's and then for Bobby Slowick, I, you know, ten years. You know, I was looking back at it his uh, his accolades for Bobby Slowick. He spent for half his time in the NFL in his ten years. He was on the defensive side of the ball. I mean. Um, in 2000, he got his first gig in 2010 with the Washington football team uh, as a video assistant. And then for the for the next five years, he was – for the first three years, he was a defensive assistant and coach. Then he was a defensive quality control coach for those two – for the last two years. And then uh, in 2019 and 2020, he moved to the offensive side of the ball. Offensive assistant coach for both those years. And then in 2021 and 2022, he was the offensive passing game uh, coordinator specialist for the San Francisco 49ers. Now he's leading the offense for the Houston Texans. I don't see a whole lot of experience there. You got to start somewhere, right? So, you know, prove me wrong. You know, I hope he does. I hope he goes out there. Both coaches do a great job. 
But I just on the offensive side and the defensive side of the ball, like you know, I, I see a whole a lack of experience. Um, I don't know when it comes to rebuilding. I think it's great with the six year contract for D'Amico, but I think that's a good start. But I just I don't I really mean, agree for, with signing some either side. I don't agree with it. I mean, for me, like I think that it, I I always love seeing players. Like I love when Jeff Saturday got signed on with the Colts. I always love seeing a former player, at least a recent former player that I'm somewhat familiar with, um, come in and be a head coach. And we saw that with D'Amico Ryans, obviously, and that's what we're saying. We saw that he had a very good career at Alabama. He was a second-round draft pick and then came in, and he had really good years in uh, the NFL. But as a Texans player, I, I would be excited to see a former player coming in who has showed success both on the field as a player, but then also as a defensive coordinator. I think that that is something that's very exciting. But for it's it's for D'Amico Ryan's, you know, obviously you come into the NFL um, and you show success. I. <laughs> It's always weird, you know, college coaches and where I'm trying to transition into this is because there's one other coach that I wanted to talk about. So it's weird for me to see, and it's very unrealistic, but you see college coaches try to transition to the NFL and they have very, very little success. Speaking of, Ed Ogeron was hired as the Saints defense coordinator. Nice. Did not see that signing, and that's well, not with the Saints. I do, but yeah, I think I Louisiana think. baby, go Saints. I think that is I think that is wrong. I think I, mean, I think that is right. Don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure that's right. But the guy that the guy that I was going to talk about, he's he's shown a ton of success in college, but I am hesitant to see how the transition actually works coming into the NFL. And the guy that I'm talking about. Uh, is is Ted Monkinen. So he was the offensive coordinator for the Georgia Bulldogs, and now he is the new offensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. So like I said, he spent the last two seasons as the offensive coordinator for the University of Georgia and has shown so much success. But where I struggle with this is Georgia is just built different. They are a completely different – they're on a completely different field than any other college organization because you can almost argue that they have NFL-caliber players almost at every single position. Yes, they do play in the SEC, which is arguably the best college conference uh, – football conference in all conferences, even Power Five, right? They are arguably one of the best but Georgia still has an NFL-caliber player at every position, and they still make like their talent that they play week in and week out look very small, and it doesn't even look fair at all. Now, he did serve uh, two offensive coordinators since in the NFL on two separate occasions. So if we look at the first time that he was in the NFL, he was an offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And during his time as the offensive coordinator for him, for them, they ranked second in passing yards, sixth in total yards, and 15th in points per game. So obviously he's shown some level of success in the NFL. But 
after that time in Tampa Bay, there were some coaching changes that happened, and he wasn't brought back. So then he ended up signing on with the Browns and Freddie Kitchens, if we remember that era. And it was not very good when Freddie Kitchens decided to take over for the Browns as the head coach. So during his second stint with a team, he ranked in the same categories, 22nd in passing yards, 22nd in total yards, and 22nd in points per game. So again, he was 2nd, 6th, and 15th, and then we saw him go 22nd, 22nd, 22nd. So he showed success, but then he's also showed some pretty bad level of play. So it's, you know, it's two different ends of the spectrum. So I think it's interesting seeing him come in to the Baltimore Ravens. And now I'm even more hesitant because, like we were saying earlier, with all the question marks surrounding Lamar Jackson. Oh, Lamar Jackson. Yeah, like, you know, what's what's next with that? That offense. Tyler Huntley. Yeah, I mean, that offense, though, was, I felt like, built for Lamar Jackson. And now he's possibly on his way out. So it's just like, I don't know what to think about this signing at all. Like, obviously, yes, he has shown a ton of success as a coach, and I'm not trying to knock him for that, but... I would be unrealistic to say that I'm not worried about it because, again, Georgia plays. Their players are at a completely different level than anybody that they face in college football. So, obviously, they're already on some some other level in that. But then now he's making this transition to the NFL where everyone's a little bit more equal. Yeah, so what you just said, um, where the NFL things are just more equal, right? I think when obviously when you play at Georgia and you're at a power powerhouse school like such as they, right? It's easy to win. It's easy to win. It's easy to be an offensive coordinator and do your job, right? But when you get to the offense, it's absolutely a miserable, like it's a nightmare of a job. It's so hard to win in the NFL, and you know, and now being out without Lamar Jackson. You know, yeah, there, what what now? You know, like I said, Tyler Huntley, like, is that what you're going to do? You know, what what are you going to get from Lamar Jackson? You know, is there any draft capital that you can get? I, I, I don't know. Like, if you if they were able to trade him, what they can get for him um, and help, you know, Mont can out. Um, but, you know, looking at the history of, you know, college coaches transitioning to the NFL, usually in most case scenarios, it's the head coaching position. Offensively, I mean, you look at Steve Sarkeesian. Did a great job for the Atlanta Falcons as an offensive coordinator and coming from college football and now going back to college football to, with the Longhorns. But I think that, yeah, I think he could do a great job, you know, and then work his way up and get his, you know, solidified in the NFL and become a head coach. But I think he'll be fine. I think that, the, that you know, obviously you got to take everything with a grain of salt. You know, if he has a bad year without Lamar Jackson, you know, who wouldn't? Right. Yeah, but he so, he probably he probably took that job thinking that his quarterback was going to be Lamar Jackson. Well, when did he sign? Was it during the controversy, or did he sign like when was when was this? I mean, we we knew coming into this, like even to end the last season, that Lamar Jackson had question marks surrounding him, and I think to, uh, Todd was signed, um, I think in January February time. So. The, the Lamar Jackson drama hasn't quite started at that time, but there there were definitely question marks around him. Yeah. So that makes me feel like maybe Todd Monken got an opportunity with the NFL and it didn't matter with who and took it. You know, maybe you know maybe this is his getting his foot in the door. You know, and I mean he's had he's his foot in make, the door, but right, the make arms, the best the of it. Crazy, yeah. Right, but offensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens, they're still a good team. Um, you know, I think they'll be fine, but they, yeah, quarterback's not a good problem to have, right? So. Um, let's see what happens, you know, what happens in the draft. 
So we might yeah. be surprised. I mean, like, obviously this, this is going to shake up. So Georgia is losing their offensive coordinator. I think Georgia's going to be fine. I don't think that it's an offensive coordinator. Georgia's always going to be fine. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't think it's an offensive coordinator yeah. problem. But no. we also see that the SEC is adding two quality teams in Texas. One quality team. One and quality. Oklahoma. Yeah, in only, and not, yeah not, this, not this upcoming season, but They're the following season. Team. Well, arguably. They're going to get they – that's gonna, they could, that could possibly lead them to – some more recruits, and then what? We're, we're one, two recruiting classes away from them looking like a quality team. Absolutely. Okay. So I'm talking about Oklahoma not being a quality team here. No, and that's what, but that's what I'm saying is like they're going to end up probably getting more recruits because they're going to be a part of the SEC. No, so we no. could see them. We can't base it off of this last season that OU wasn't good, so they're not going to be good in the SEC because I don't think there's OU's a chance that they could be. Right. No, I, I mean, OU's, that's why Lincoln Riley left. He didn't want to coach in the SEC because he knows if Oklahoma goes to the SEC, they're going to get steamrolled, and the only thing they're going to be good at in the SEC is softball. Look, SEC is a hard division to play in regardless. Uh, it's, it's hard for any team. I mean, look at Auburn. Auburn was a top team in the SEC for a long time, and now they're struggling. You know, when you when you fall off the pinwheel, it's hard to get back up off, off back onto your feet in the SEC. It's an absolute brutal division. And I think, yeah, I think it's a great addition, especially with Texas. I think Texas is going to come in and get some good talent, and uh, I think they're going to, you know, be a great fit for the SEC. Oklahoma, I think they'll fit right in. I think, yeah, they might not be the best team in the SEC, but they'll fit in. They're a good school. I think they're going to bring good coaches. They'll be like a Mississippi State. They'll be good one year and mediocre the rest. Texas, if you go back and you watch Texas play SEC schools, and for those of y'all listening, I am a massive Texas Longhorns fan, okay? Massive Texas Longhorns fan. So you go, okay, first off, <laughs> who do you go for? Baylor? Come on now. Get out of here. Salmoth. Anyways, anyways, if you go back and you watch them play SEC schools, they play some damn good football. And y'all cannot say that they don't. Should have beat Alabama this past year. Should have got a water, baby. Just because Saban's a scared bitch and he has to injure our quarterbacks every time he plays us. Um, then, you know, we beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. We, what year was that? And didn't they sit uh, a lot of their starters for the draft? No. Okay. And then, <laughs> and then the year LSU wins the national championship, the closest game all year LSU played in was the Texas game. You are a Cowboys believe, fan. You are a Cowboys up, fan more than anything. Don't even Cowboy. Fuck I think Cowboys. Uh, I think I, I think Kellen Moore was there that day, and he was the offensive coordinator. Oh yeah, was he? Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> no, I do think though that that Texas Texas is definitely one of like I I think that they're gonna fit in. I think they're gonna come in day one and immediately fit in. You know, they got Archie and Manning. Yeah, they're getting, they got Archie Manning. And then they have Quinn Ewers right now, so they they immediately. I know that they're not entering this year, but still, we got Alabama week two, and I I I'm gonna tell you this right now. There is a good possibility that Texas will go into Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama week two. I mean, it's gonna be a tough game. We'll but, see. We'll see. Uh, yeah, we'll see. First off, Tom's over here, an Alabama fan, going, "We'll see." And the song that they sing every fourth quarter, uh, what is it, Dixieland Delight? 
They're mm-hmm. singing and they're screaming Dixieland and Light. That's a song right. about fucking Tennessee. <laughs> Make a little loving. <laughs> On a Tennessee Saturday night. Stupid fucking Alabamans. <laughs> no, and, and like, I don't know. I'm excited to see the SEC. I don't. I haven't really seen anything about, like, officially. I know that there's speculation because SEC is a big conference. They have split up into the SEC East, the SEC West. So I am interested to see, you know, who ends up in the East, who ends up in the West, because I well, think that be, that could be. It's going it's to be like the old, oh, man, what was it? Southwest Conference, where you have Oklahoma, Arkansas, Texas, and A&M. But the, out of all the SEC schools, and as an Alabama fan, you can back me up because Nick Saban is excited to bring his school like Texas in the SEC because he thinks that they're competition ready and going to be able to compete. But A&M is not happy about the Longhorns joining the SEC. Why should they? Happy. I wouldn't be happy either. But at the same time, I wouldn't be happy, but I would love the competition. You know, my thing is, is like, I think I think Texas A&M. I can see why they're not happy, is what I'm saying, but I don't agree with why they're not happy. I would want to be known as the best Texas school. You know, not. Best, if you go back to the Big Twelve days, they couldn't compete with Texas in recruiting. Well, I, 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 beat the shit out of them every year. Right. Well, it's not a matter of whether they are or they aren't. I'm just saying I would I would want that competition and to have those bragging rights. I'm not saying whether they are or they aren't. Right. Yeah. I'm just saying that. I would want that competition. Alabama and Auburn have it. That's what makes that rivalry great, right? Okay, yes, it is. But All I think right. Texas and Texas A&M, that could be another great one, and I think Texas A&M is scared, you know, for their lives. There's, and there's, I think it's, Because I they're going to lose. Well, the one thing that A&M had over Texas was A&M being in the SEC. That was the only thing A&M had over Texas. Now they don't have that. They don't have that anymore. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, think it, I think it does create that in-state rivalry. I think it right. kind of it kind of rekindles that. But I mean, like, th- there were more Texas teams in the Big Twelve, and now they're on their way out. Like, I I know that A and M has obviously had more success, and they I think though it's because of the fact that they found their way into the SEC. Um, thank you to Johnny Manziel and everything, and created all yeah. that hype for them. And then you know we start to see Texas kind of have all of this hype about them and I think it's more so again because they're going into the SEC so I think to Dalton's point like yeah I do agree that it's going to it is going to create that that in-state rivalry so Texas is going to have a pretty intense schedule because obviously they're going to have the Red River right Texas Texas will now hold the biggest rivalries in the SEC yeah no I mean absolutely coming in as like a first year team because yeah they're going to First year team, and you're going to play two of the biggest rivalries in the SEC: Texas OU and a possible Texas A&M. And not to mention, Arkansas fans fucking hate Texas. Well, I mean, even if even if we look at this last season, like you said, it was a one point game between Texas and Alabama. Can you imagine going in Texas's way into the SEC? Last year was a one-point yeah. loss, close game. Like, everyone's emotions were on the line. And if this and upcoming Alabama, season, Alabama this upcoming season, it's like it was a rivalry game. Well, that's what I'm saying because it was, I mean, it was a really close game. It was a one-point game. And then if this next season, it's a close game. And regardless of whichever way it goes, but, you know, back-to-back close games and then now all of a sudden you join the same conference, that in itself is going to automatically create some sort of rivalry. Like, we saw that, obviously, as a Green Bay fan. I saw that with Green Bay and Dallas. 
every single time Green Bay and Dallas played, it felt like a rivalry game, no matter what. But, you know, that's part of it. And I think that obviously in that, it's going to create some sort of division and it'll be a really interesting game. So Texas could be a really fun team to watch and I'm excited, but well, go ahead. Dalton. I'm excited for the 2024 no, no, season. No, I, I, DJ, I mean, cut you off, but no, in speaking of divisions, I, they're in talks right now with the SEC getting rid of divisions once Texas and Oklahoma join. There's not going to be a SEC East or West. It's just because they're getting rid of that division play. I mean, there's, there's so many teams to play, though. You're not going to be able to play everybody in your division. Well, no. So or your conference. Look, look, I've seen two different two different things about um, how they would do it, and one of them is they wouldn't. So you wouldn't do divisions. You would play certain schools every year. So like. For Texas, instance, you would have the Arkansas game every year, the Oklahoma game every year, and a possible A&M game every year, and then you would swap off everybody else in the SEC. Yeah, that, that's that's what I feel like every year that doesn't that's not going to get you the top two teams in the SEC. That's going to lead to a lot of controversy, and I don't think as SEC fans of SEC teams that is what y'all want because you're going to have and the way I see it playing out is y'all are going to have three maybe four teams who are have the same record at the end of the conference season, and then it's going to be based on what like. The voters. But that's what I mean. It's like who goes who's the two teams that go to the SEC championship? Because you're gonna have fourteen possibly four teams with the same record if you're not playing everybody. Which I don't know if everybody in the SEC plays each other right now, but it's at least split up. So you'll play everybody so in each conference and then those teams yeah. will play each other now. But if you put everybody so, in one thing, you could potentially have three teams with the same record, but which two teams are you taking? If neither one of those so three what, teams that's going to end up happening. I guarantee you that's going to end up happening. The other way that I've seen it is, and what I would like to see, is that what they were going to do is in one division of the SEC, they were going to do Texas, Oklahoma, A&M, LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Missouri. And then the other ones would be Bama, Tennessee, Georgia, Auburn, Vanderbilt, Kentucky. Lucky Texas. That's all lucky I'm Texas. saying. Lucky, yeah, lucky Texas. You got you have Tennessee, Bama, and Georgia on the other side. Lucky that's Texas. What, that's what that's what Nick Saban's upset about. That's what he okay, came out like. Okay. If we, that that's understandable. But how often is Tennessee a great football team? Right I now mean, they are. That's subjective though. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Right now they are. But you can't say that they're can they have been consistently a great football team. But you also can't say that they're not going to consistently show success either. Well, that's what I'm saying. You don't know that right now. Right. But, I mean, I it's recency but bias then, for sure. But then again, what about LSU? Okay. If you're Texas, you have to play OU, who it's a dogfight every you, year. Well, you also said, though, that they're not going to quality team. Okay. But it's a rivalry game. Even when Auburn's not that good, there's still potential to beat Alabama. Yeah, but if OU is not a quality team, then if they're playing on that side of the conference and they're not a quality but, team, yeah, they may play but, Texas close, but they're not going to play every other team close. Yeah, but when you add that rivalry game in, it's different. Look at Bo Nix's freshman year. It's different. It's different for Texas. It's different. No, it's, different it's not different it's for anybody. Game. It's different for Texas, and that's no, it for the rivalry game. I mean, look at Alabama when they were going to go and supposed to be the number one team in the country, and then they lose to Bo Nix. And at Auburn, 
Yeah, but then that's what but that's what I'm saying is like whenever Alabama, whenever week. whenever Alabama and Auburn play, that game is different. But then be, because of the rivalry, that's that's the only that's time what that. I'm no, I know, but that's that's also what I am saying is Auburn plays like dog crap against everybody. So everybody else on that side of the conference, it's an easy win. But then the only game that really matters is the the Iron Bowl, the the Alabama, the Auburn. That's the game that yeah, the only the only team that could impact is Bama, and that's your case with OU. The only team that OU can impact is Texas, and I get that right. as a Texas fan. But OU is most likely going to lose to everybody else, maybe except Missouri. They're going to lose to right. everybody else. We're having a losing well, season. We're having a losing season. Let's screw theirs. Yeah, yeah. But but also, that's what I'm saying though. But it, you say lucky Alabama, their rivalries, Georgia. No, Tennessee, lucky Texas. Rivalries. Lucky Texas, not lucky okay, Alabama. Okay. okay, well, hold on. You say lucky Texas. Texas's biggest rivalries, OU and A&M. You're putting them in the same division. What's Alabama's biggest rivalries? I wouldn't think Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee. I don't think A&M is – A&M wasn't, didn't show a whole lot of high hope this past season. I'd, okay, no. I have a lot of questions no, with Jimbo Fisher. No, that, right that, that's not what I'm saying. He's talking about rivalry games. No, Texas. no, I'm talking about I'm talking about level of competition. Oh, oh, well, hold on, I'm getting there. You're saying lucky Texas, but in that division, three of those games for Texas are massive rivalry games. You've got the Texas Texas A&M game, the Texas Texas OU OU game, and the Texas Arkansas game. Texas and Arkansas were a major rival back in the day when it was just the Southwest Conference. No, I mean, okay. I guess I see what you're saying. Like, those are, like, those I, are big rivalry. Games. Yeah, you're, y'all are having y'all have more more opportunities at rivalry games than maybe Alabama and Georgia on the other side. But I think it's also naive to think that the other side of that conference with Bama, with Georgia, with Tennessee is not better. Like the one with Bama, Georgia, and Tennessee, they have shown much more success over the last 10 years between those three programs than A&M, than Texas, than OU, Not, anybody that, on that I, side. Like I, it's I, I, just I, a I level of competition. Agree, I, wouldn't agree with, I wouldn't agree with Tennessee. Oh, I mean, okay, but poor Tennessee then because Tennessee every year has to face Bama and Georgia whenever – a and M has to who who face it's not, well you're making Texas. It like Texas Texas division is going to be a cakewalker. Arkansas, A and M, LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. That's that's not a cakewalk. And again, this, is, own, this is this is all subjective because we have no idea what the final what no the fi- what the final rankings are either. If we don't really know of all the changes that are going or like what the future outlook is for the SEC and obviously that leads some big changes for the Big 12 but we're not even going to dive into that Um, I think that this is a good stopping point again like I said I think that this is a topic that we could continue to talk about for hours on end Um, but anyways listeners I do appreciate y'all tuning in we'd always appreciate for you to subscribe to our channel Uh, you can find us on YouTube uh, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, all of the major social media platforms. Always give us a comment, like our content, anything else. Let us know what we can do to improve as an overall show. But like as always, thank you all so much for tuning in and listening to this episode. Yep, yep. Was, like always, it's great to to uh, ride the pine with you boys. Oh, yeah. See you all in episode three. <laughs>